Well, good morning, uh, Fellowship Greenville family. It is so great to see you today, whether here in Auditorium 1 or over in Auditorium 2, or if you're joining us online today, thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, the Christmas season is upon us, and a big thank you uh, to those who have once again decorated uh, our church so beautifully uh, for this time of year. Always thankful for that team that come, comes in and does that. Uh, if you are a guest today, welcome. We're so thankful that you took time out of your schedule to join us. I say this most of the time when I teach because I really mean it. Uh, we hope that you find fellowship to be a place that makes much of Jesus and the hope of the gospel. That is our heartbeat here. And if you haven't stopped by guest services out in the commons, would you please do so? Uh, we have some folks there that would uh, love to meet you after the service today, answer any questions that you might have about Fellowship Greenville. And to any and all of you uh, who have been worshiping with us uh, for any length of time, and you have yet to join us for a starting point, we would love to have you join us. Our next one is on Sunday, January the 21st. And some of you are going, man, you're already promoting things in January. And yeah, that's because some of you plan ahead, and I'm super proud of you. And so if you're interested in being part of Starting Point, we would love to have you join us. It's always during the second service. Uh, we have several people from our staff team that take some time to share with you all about FG. And so uh, join us in January. You can sign up online using the QR code in front of you or by stopping by guest services or next steps out in the commons today. Uh, I also, before we jump into our passage this morning, I wanted to take a moment and say thank you to all of you uh, who took part in our yearly Operation Christmas Child Drive. This year, uh, through our collective generosity, we were able to send 2,525 Christmas boxes to kids in need, so I love that. Thank you for that. I believe that's a record, setting all kinds of records, all for it. That's wonderful, so thanks for your generosity. And we are excited here at Fellowship to spend these few Sundays between Thanksgiving and Christmas celebrating Advent in a series entitled Word Made Flesh. And Jim kicked us off last week with a wonderful message from John 1. And if you missed it because you were traveling for the holidays, uh, you can listen to that online. Also there online, you can be kept up to date on all things Fellowship Greenville, whether that's on our website or the app. Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus. And it means, as some of you would know, arrival or coming. And its purpose, the purpose of Advent, is to encourage us towards patient waiting, hopeful expectation, soul searching, calendar watching, to remember Jesus, to celebrate Jesus, to anticipate Jesus. The Advent, we remember that he came. We remember that he lived the perfect sinless life. We remember that he died. We remember that he arose. We remember that he conquered. And at the same time, we celebrate that he came. We celebrate that he lived. We celebrate that he died. We celebrate that he arose. And we celebrate that he conquered. All while we anticipate that he is coming again. So we look and we watch, just like our children look at the calendar, marking off the days to Christmas morning with great expectation. In Advent, we identify with Israel as they awaited the promised Messiah. They awaited the coming of Jesus, the fulfillment of God's promise, the Savior of the world. And as followers of Jesus, we anticipate a type of 
waiting ourselves. We await the return of Jesus. We wait for the day when Jesus will come again and he will right all the wrongs and he will make all things new. I love Advent because it offers us an invitation to recenter our hope in the midst of a world constantly offering us false hope. Or as I've been praying this week, as I've been studying what we'll be talking about this morning, Advent, we were reminded of our hope as we behold the preeminent one. If you listen well, as people talk, you will often hear them speaking of hope. It might not be the exact word they use, but it's often the word behind the words. It's little ones as they go off to a new school or a new class or a new church. I hope the kids in my class like me. For those trying out for the team or the squad or interviewing for the job or applying to college, I hope I make it, I hope I get it, I hope I get accepted. You hear it in the voice of those on the verge of disappointment with how life is going. I hope it's good news from the doctors. I hope our marriage will get better. I hope they don't lay me off with this round of layoffs. It seems that everyone is looking for a hope that will come through, but hope, as we often talk about it, is such a word of uncertainty. It might happen, and it might not hope. And people long for a hope they can count on. People long for a hope that will deliver, a hope that'll meet their needs, a hope that speaks to their disappointment, their disillusionment, their anxiety, their wandering. But what many of you have found that I have also found is that uh, a maybe, maybe not hope is no hope at all. True and lasting hope is never found here or there or in a thing or in a moment or in a feeling or in an outcome. Advent reminds us that hope has a name and his name is Jesus. And there is nothing maybe, maybe not about Jesus. Biblical hope actually means confident assurance. And what we remember when we gather is that our confident assurance is Jesus, where our hope is found and why I've come to really love the season of Advent because it is the reminder on our calendar to slow down, Behold Jesus, take him in more fully, contemplate how incredible and wonderful he is, not as some far off, unattached, cosmic being, but as the word made flesh, powerful yet personal, behold our hope. Like that is the uniqueness for those of us that are Christians, is it not? Christianity says what? Christianity says, come and see Jesus. Christianity says, come and behold Jesus. Christianity says, come and follow Jesus, our hope. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I would love for you to open them up to the book of Colossians chapter one. And as you turn there, let me tell you a bit about this book since we're not currently walking through it on Sunday mornings, although I would like to in the future. I think that'd be fantastic. The Apostle Paul wrote this group of believers in Colossae. He had not planted this church, but a fellow co-worker of his had named Epaphras. 
And Paul really had one desire, if I could say it that way, in writing these Christians, and his desire was this. He wanted, through the book of Colossians, to elevate the person of Jesus Christ and the work of Jesus Christ. And when I say the work of Jesus Christ, I simply mean what Jesus Christ did in coming to earth and living the perfect life, dying a horrendous death and being raised again, the gospel. And one way to talk about the the big idea of Colossians would be, Simply, the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And the reason that Paul is putting his focus here in this letter is because the early church at Colossae was being tempted to worship other gods alongside Jesus. It's common practice. You hear us teach through different books of the Bible here. You'll hear us say this on repeat, it seems like, because it was very much true. There was a lot of uh, false teaching in their midst. It was an incredibly pluralistic society and culture. By that, I mean everyone thought there was many ways to God. So you worship what you want to worship, and I'll worship what I want to worship, and you can worship as many things, and I can worship as many things. And so Paul's writing them simply to say that's not so. He describes throughout this book of the Bible the, and we'll talk a little bit about it later on, the preeminence of Jesus, the superiority of Jesus, the excellence of Jesus, because some of the false teaching centered around an inferior view of Jesus. Some of the heretics that were making their way around back in the day did not think Jesus to be fully divine. They did not think Jesus was the sole source of redemption. And if that is the case, then that would make him a maybe, maybe not hope not the confident assurance that he truly is. So Paul writes to remind this church, no, 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 no. Jesus is the matchless one. There is no comparison. He is supreme. He is excellent. He is superior. He is the one to behold. I want to remind you that he is your hope, all-powerful yet personal. And these words, the one who has these words described is worthy of our beholding. So let's look at verse 15 of chapter one. Behold and be reminded together of our true hope. This is what it says in Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Verse 17, and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on the earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now, before we walk through the verses I just read, I I wanna share this. In the verses before the ones I read, uh, Paul does a a greeting and uh, has a word of thanksgiving for those that he's writing like he usually does when he starts a letter. And what he's already said to those in the church of Colossae before we just read it, I I just want to recap it for you really quick because I think it's important what we're talking about today. This is what it says in verse three of Colossians one. Paul says, we always thank God 
the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Because of the, there it is, hope laid up for you in heaven of this, the this there's hope, of this hope you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. Is Paul reminding them as he begins that their hope, our hope is central to who we are in Jesus because of Jesus. That we have hope, we have confident assurance in Jesus because of the gospel, what God has done for us through Jesus. And when we live in the reality of the gospel, it actually shapes what? It actually shapes all of life. And Paul talks about that in verses nine through 13. I won't go through all of it, but he's been praying for them. You know, he says he's thankful for them and then he prays for them. And as he's praying for them in those verses, he's praying for their continued spiritual growth. And he concludes the prayer by reminding them, again, because of Jesus, that they have been qualified, that they have been delivered, that they have been transferred, that they have been redeemed. All of these incredible words that Paul uses to remind them of that hope that they now have in a relationship with God because of Jesus. Because the word was made flesh. Because Jesus made it possible. And so there is this natural flow of abundant joy from Paul as he starts in verse 15, talking about Jesus, who Jesus is, who Jesus has always been. And I would love to be able to convey to you as you look at these words, the excitement with which they were actually written, the joy with which they were actually written by Paul. It's almost palpable with this reminder. He writes to them while he sits in prison. And what you have before you in these few verses are multiple unique characteristics of Jesus Christ which articulate how qualified he is to have supremacy in every way. That he is the matchless one. That he is the one and only he is the one to behold. That he is our hope because of who he is and who we are now in him. As a matter of fact, some scholars believe that verses 15 through 20 that I read a moment ago are a quotation from an early Christian hymn all about the lordship and the supremacy of Jesus. Let's just walk through it together. Can we do that? love doing that. Here we go. Look back at verse 15. Paul says, he is the image of the invisible God. Stop right there. Jesus is the one who makes the invisible God that you can't see and I can't see. Seeable. And I don't want us to rush past that this morning. We can behold only because of Jesus. To behold, it means to perceive through sight or apprehension. It means to to gaze upon. And in the Old Testament, some of you might remember this. In the Old Testament, God is presented as the one you can't see. If you remember Exodus 33, when Moses asked, let me see your glorious presence. And God said, no, you can't look directly at me. It would kill you. My glory would kill you. Wait, wait, wait. Paul is reminding the church of Colossae and we're reminding Fellowship Greenville today that in and through Jesus, you actually can 
To see Jesus is to see and experience God the Father. And again, remember what John writes in the Gospel of John that Jim reminded us of last week? In the beginning was the Word, Jesus. Already existed. He was with God and he was God. He is the image of the invisible God. But we're also told here, if you look back in verse 15 of Colossians 1, it also says, he's also the firstborn of all creation. Not that he was created, but that he did the creating. Again, you can see why we went John 1 and then Colossians 1. They tie together so beautifully. John 1 says it. Jesus created everything there is. Nothing exists that he didn't make. Behold him. See him. Observe him because he alone is truly remarkable. He alone is truly impressive. And what did he create? Everything. Look back at verse 16 with me. Here we go. We'll keep walking through it. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Paul reminds them, all things in heaven and earth, everything you can see, everything you can't see, the material world, the immaterial world, thrones, rulers, dominions, authority. And really here, Paul's actually talking about the spirit world because the folks in Colossae were engaged in the worship of angels. Remember, you can worship as many gods as you want and I'll worship as many gods as I want and that's all fine. Paul's going, no, 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 no. Jesus is supreme. He is over everything in creation because he is the creator of everything created. And I believe this is where our hope sometimes gets a little sideways, even as followers of Jesus. When we choose to put our hope in created things instead of the creator of all things, yeah, and here's what I've noticed. I've noticed that I'm a lot better at pointing this out in other people than hearing from the Spirit of God through the Word of God about how that's true about me at times. That I can interact with someone and go, it's so, it's so easy to see. You have misplaced hope. Your hope currently is maybe, maybe not hope. And that's no hope at all. Jesus is our hope. He's our confident assurance. And sometimes I'm really good at being able to see it in other people. Not as great. At being quiet enough before the Lord to have the Lord remind me of where my hope's a little sideways. So I invite you to think about your life for a minute as I've thought about my life this past week as I've been studying. I ask you this question. Are there any areas of your life that you are worshiping what was created instead of the creator of all that has been created? And my suggestion would be that you actually take a little more time to process that than just the couple of seconds that I'm posing the question before we move on to something else. Maybe this is a great Advent question for you. It's a question within the context of community groups as they gather. And if there is something, it's okay to acknowledge I've got my hope in the wrong place. 
to remember that there is no confident assurance in the created things. Like look back at verse 17 with me. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. If this is true, and I believe that it is, and I believe that you believe that it is, then how silly that we as the created keep looking to other created things for our hope that is no hope at all. But if you're looking for your true hope to be recentered today, that's great. Let's keep reading because Paul keeps going from talking about the supremacy of Jesus and all creation to the supremacy of Jesus and all redemption that Jesus is the head of the church, all believers in the world, part of his body, his bride. This is what it says. Look at verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, here it is, he might be preeminent. Now, Paul does, if you've studied through his writings, Paul does in other places talk about the church being the body of Christ. But here, by saying Jesus is the head of the church, he's simply conveying to the church of Colossae, who has false teachers in their midst, that Jesus is the leader of his bride, that he is over it all. Not just over it, he's sustaining it. Verse 18, there it is again, that in everything he might be preeminent. Now that word preeminent, it means surpassing all others. It means distinguished. It means towering above, thus worthy of our beholding as we behold he who is preeminent. And there we are reminded of our true hope. Now, I think that our challenge is not that different from the challenge of the church of Colossae because we also find ourselves in a world filled with many things capturing our attention and fighting for preeminence. And the temptation that sits in front of a lot of us, much like the church of Colossae, of Colossae is that Jesus is simply prominent when he actually, as we see here, is preeminent. When Jesus is one of the many things that you look to for your worth, then you're living as if he is prominent, not preeminent. When you're honest enough to acknowledge that Jesus is one of the many things that gives you your value, then you're living as if he's prominent, but not preeminent. When Jesus is one of the many things you're placing your hope in, you're living as if he's prominent, not preeminent. And if you were to ask me, Jason, what's one of the greatest, from your perspective as a pastor, you've been pastoring for a while, what's one of the greatest challenges that you think the Church of America faces? I would say that for so many people, they live as if Jesus were simply prominent one of the many things instead of preeminent. And Paul saying, here is your reminder once again 
for your for Jesus' preeminence. Look back at verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. I love it. Verse 19 tells us, reminds us that the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. And it's not just that Jesus bears the glory of God. He does. But all that God is dwells in him. All wisdom, all power, all glory which leads to this question, what does that exactly mean? It means that Jesus is our reconciler, that through the blood of the cross, peace has been made and God is reconciling to himself all things. And that language is really important, I think, that God is reconciling to himself, not that we are reconciling God to ourselves. These words here from Paul, and it's not the only place he talks about it. These words here from Paul tell us that God is the one making the first move to restore our relationship with him. He's making the first move of reconciling. And Paul knew this well. Why did Paul know this well? Because Jesus came to him on a road when Paul was not looking for him and said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Paul knows what we know. Paul's reminding them of what we need to be reminded of. We are the ones that walked away. And he came after us to bring us back to him. That's the words you're singing. That's what this passage is saying. That's the reminder we all need. Powerful, all powerful. Personal, the most personal. Behold our hope. Right before the verses we looked at this morning, it says this. I actually do want to read verses 13 and 14 to you of Colossians 1. It says, Paul said, he has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What do you do with these words from Colossians 1 as Paul kicks off this letter to the church of Colossae? I think we do what Paul wanted these Christ followers in Colossae to do initially. Can unpack more later. I think he wanted him to stop and ponder. I think he wanted to encourage them to stop and look. I think he would love for them to stop and contemplate, to stop and behold, to be reminded of their hope, for us to be reminded of our hope and actually behold Jesus. This is such a huge part of actually what we do when we gather together. You, just, just a reminder, yeah? It is the reminder that we come together, 9 o'clock service, 11 o'clock service, take an hour, hour and 15, hour and 30, depending on who's, te- on who's teaching. I get it. And have our hope recentered. To teach things, for sure. To worship through song, absolutely. To fellowship with one another, love it. To serve one another, Yeah, 
and at the heart of it all to be reminded of our true hope. I think it would do us all well to let that actually be a gauge for when we come together. Not did I like it. I like that guy. I don't like that guy. I like that guy. <laughs> like that song. Don't like that song. Like that volunteer. Don't like that volunteer. Like it when it's less crowded. Parking's awesome. <laughs> no, no. When we gather together, could you walk out and go, today I was reminded of my hope. Here's what I want to invite you to do. Uh, and some of you don't like doing this, totally fine. So you don't have to, you can just stare at me awkwardly. But everybody else is cool with it. Would you just bow your head and close your eyes for just a second? And I'm not done yet, I'm not wrapping it up. Don't get too excited. But <laughs> I actually just wanted to reread Colossians 1, 15 through 20 over you. And everywhere where there's a he and a him, I actually just wanted to say Jesus's name because I believe it's powerful, because the word's powerful. This is what it says. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Jesus, all things were created in heaven, on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Jesus, and for Jesus. And Jesus is before all things, and in Jesus, all things hold together. And Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, Jesus might be preeminent. For in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through Jesus to reconcile to God all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of Jesus's cross. You can look back up. Here's the challenge for us that you know that I know. We struggle to continually behold that with which we think we're familiar. We struggle to continually behold that with which we think we're familiar. There's a challenge before us as followers of Jesus to constantly look at Jesus and not really see Jesus. Or I can say it this way, he can become so familiar that we see him, but we don't behold him. Maybe you recall the words of John the Baptist when he saw Jesus, he proclaimed, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And again, what does it mean to behold? It means to Consider, it means to contemplate with appreciation, to allow the, the weight of what you're thinking about to, to rest and to sit on your heart and mind. And we do well to behold Jesus. And that's not a, when we talk about this a lot around here, it's not a try harder to do better. 
It's just walking in and going, now what was Paul reminding the church of Colossae of? Oh, that's right. Now why would he be reminding them of that? Well, because he knew what was in their midst. And we know what's in our midst. We know that we live in a culture, we know that we live in a Christian culture that simply wants to make Jesus your life coach. Prominent, but not preeminent. For some of you, you would say you only look to Jesus when you're in a tough spot, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but if that's the only time you're looking to Jesus, then prominent is how you see him, not preeminent, which he is. Some of us want Jesus as a prominent advisor, not a preeminent king, because with an advisor, you know he's simply giving advice, and with advice, you know what I know, you can take it or leave it depending on whether or not you like the advice. Prominent, but not preeminent. This morning, we have the opportunity, I'm pretty excited, uh, to take communion together. I always love it. We do that regularly around here if you're newer with us. With communion, we have this opportunity to remember. We have this opportunity to behold before we do that, I wanna read you something that I read this week that was such an encouragement to me in regards to who Jesus is. It's called Rejoicing in Christ, and the tech team was so kind. It's a couple of paragraphs, and if you just start reading a couple of paragraphs, people can be all over the map. And so tech team was kind enough to copy and paste and put it on the screen so you can follow along with me as I read. This is what it says about Jesus. Here was a man with towering charisma, running over with life, health and healing, loaves and fishes, all abounded in his presence. So compelling did people find him that crowds thronged around him, men and women, children, sick and mad, rich and poor. They found him so magnetic, some wanted just to touch his clothes. Kinder than summer, he befriended the rejects and gave hope to the hopeless. The dirty and despised found they mattered to him. His closest friends found that as the son of man came eating and drinking, being with him was like being with a bridegroom at a wedding. Yes, he was a man who felt a world of pain, yet who abounded with joy. Generous, genial, firm and resolute. He was always surprising. Loving, but not sappy. His insight unsettled people and his kindness won them. Indeed, he was a man of extraordinary and extraordinarily appealing contrast. You simply couldn't make him up for you would make him only one or the other. He was red-blooded and human, but not rough. He was pure, but never dull. He was serious with sunbeams of wit. Sharper than cut glass, he out-argued all comers, but never for the sake of the win. He knew no failings in himself, but was transparently humble. He made the grandest of claims for himself, yet without a whiff of pomposity. He ransacked the temple, spoke of hellfire, called Herod a fox, 
The Pharisees painted corpses and yet never did you doubt his love for you as you read his life. With a huge heart, he hated evil and he felt for the needy. He loved the father and he loved people. You look at him and you have to say, here is a man truly alive, unwithered in any way, far more vital and vigorous, far more full and complete, far more human than any other. Powerful, personal, our hope, because he's preeminent. Another way to say this would be, we couldn't make Jesus up or imagine him as beautiful as he actually is. Our limited sin-corrupted minds would not be able to create the perfect paradox of characteristics that Jesus so excellently weds together into one unified person. So my reminder for us today, Jesus is the most excellent thing to set your attention and affections upon. There is literally no lack, no gap, no fault, no blemish, no spot, no inadequacy, no deceit, no pride, no sin within anything he is, says, or does. We would be incapable of imagining him as incomparably preeminent as he already is. And this is the glory of it all. Jesus is the visible, touchable, tangible expression of the living God that the human heart longed to see and experience. And if we want to know the Father, we can watch, study, observe, and behold the life of Jesus, who only said and only did what the Father told him to say and do. And then we can be completely blown away by the reality that the same Spirit, which empowered his life of perfect obedience, is residing within all of us. This is the extravagant, fascinatingly good news of the gospel. This is our hope. And our hope has a name. Jesus. Behold him. Would you pray with me? Father God, for the opportunity to gather with brothers and sisters, guests, some who are curious about what it means to follow you, maybe they have reservations, hurt, some sort of hang up, 
May we never take for granted the opportunity to gather together to remind one another of your preeminence, of where our true hope is actually found. In a world that is offering us lots of false hope options, would we be known as a people who are beholding you. Not as a prominent option, but as the preeminent one that you are. And we will thank you for it. In Jesus' sweet name we pray, amen.